2: is Dak Prescott the future of the franchise? Because you don't want to find yourself in a Blake Bortles situation where you're kind of wishy-washy on whether a guy is the right fit, and then he plays a couple of good games, and then you give him $54 million, and you have hamstrung your franchise instead of going out and getting a guy who can really win at a high level. You've spent a lot of money, and you've set your franchise back a couple of years. That's where I think the Jacksonville Jaguars are right now. And I think the Cowboys are going to face a very similar decision about what to do going forward because Dak is right there on the ambivalent is he good or is he bad level. He's gotten a little bit worse for each of the past three seasons that he's been the starting quarterback for the Cowboys. Year three, you're sitting at three and four, but it's kind of hard to judge Dak because your receiving talent is so weak around him. So I think their decision to trade for Amari Cooper is as much about trying to evaluate Dak Prescott as it is evaluate Amari Cooper. I think the Cowboys are looking at the NFC East. They're saying, yeah, the Redskins are 4-2, but we don't feel like we're out of making a playoff run here. But more importantly, I think this, this trade is about making a decision on what to do with Dak Prescott going forward. I really do. I think that's almost entirely what this is about. A lot of people are focusing on, well, can you get pro bowl level Amari Cooper? What's happened to Amari Cooper? Why has he disappeared as a receiver? All those are interesting questions. But I think the bigger question the Cowboys have to decide is what is the impact going to be of uh, Dak Prescott down the road? Now, the Cowboys have tried this before. Jerry Jones tends to be a gambler. They went and got Roy Williams. It didn't pay out. If you remember Roy Williams, I believe came from the Detroit Lions. The idea was oh, if we get a good receiver in here, that will change everything. By and large, I am not of the belief that receivers change very much. You look at the best quarterbacks in the NFL, their receivers don't matter. I think if you look at the best receivers in the NFL, they produce no matter who their quarterback is. So I will be stunned if Amari Cooper comes out and suddenly plays at a Pro Bowl level. I don't think Dak Prescott is that much better, if any better at all, than Derek Carr, so I don't know why suddenly Amari Cooper – is going to become a superstar now that he is gone. I like the Raider move here to start to stockpile draft picks. Now, here is the problem if you are a Raiders fan, as a couple of the guys on this show are. Trading Amari Cooper, to me, is a clear sign that John Gruden doesn't have any faith at all in Derek Carr. If you thought Derek Carr was a Super Bowl-caliber quarterback, you would not trade Amari Cooper because you know what Amari Cooper has been capable of with Derek Carr. To me, this is John Gruden basically saying, I'm going to turn the page on the Derek Carr experiment. I'm going to build a young, youthful, talented team, go get my own quarterback, a guy I believe in. Derek Carr is not that guy.
0: Be sure to catch live editions of Outkick the Coverage with Clay Travis weekdays at 6 a.m. Eastern, 3 a.m. Pacific on Fox Sports Radio and the iHeartRadio app.
2: Cue the music, boys. Let's roll through it. There you have the melodic tunes of NFL film playing in the background. We'll start off with the bottom five teams in the NFL, and I will count them down. I actually, you know, the Giants are 1-6. But I do agree that they've been really pretty competitive, by and large, in a lot of their losses. Having said that, 1-6 is 1-6. in The season is over for the Giants. The question becomes, what do you do with Odell? I'd trade him. What do you do with Eli? i try to trade him too. i build around Saquon Barkley. I would use the Rams as my blueprint. They got Todd Gurley. Then they went and got Jared Goff and everything changed. You have Saquon Barkley, who I believe is every bit as good as Todd Gurley and will be for the next five years. And as a result, you go find your quarterback in this year's draft and you rebuild. You get a first-round pick for Odell Beckham Jr. And you go out and you build everything new and youthful around this Giants franchise. Uh, In the 29th spot, I've got the Buffalo Bills. I know they beat the Vikings and the Titans. I have no idea how that happened. The Bills are an awful monstrosity of a football team to watch. In the 30th spot, the Raiders. The Raiders are really bad. Effectively, John Gruden is saying, we're so bad that I'm just throwing in the towel on this season. I don't believe in Amari Cooper. I don't believe in Khalil Mack. I don't believe in Derek Carr. The Raiders now, 30th best team and the Bay Area. It's a long season of futility. If you are a Bay Area football fan, the Raiders at 30, the 49ers at 31, and the Arizona Cardinals, I am slotting in as the worst team. Last week, I forgot about the Cardinals, which was absolutely perfect because they are so irrelevant. This week, I'm making up for it. They are the worst team in the NFL. My bottom five teams, again, Giants, Bills, Raiders, 49ers, and Cardinals. How about the top five? How about a little positivity? In the five spot, I've got the team that I picked to make the Super Bowl from the AFC, the Chargers. I was there in person in London. I watched the Chargers, may have been fortunate to beat the Titans. Titans, I thought, played every bit the equal of the Chargers, but I think the Chargers are going to get on a run now. Remember, the Chargers were also without Melvin Gordon, which I think hamstrung their offense to a substantial degree. I've got the Chargers slotted in at the number five overall spot in my top five NFL rankings. Remember, the Chargers' only two losses, I believe I am correct in this, are to the Rams and the Chiefs. That's pretty good resume at this point. In the four spot, I said I didn't believe in them when they were one and two after the loss to the Lions, and what have they done? They've run off four straight wins. The New England Patriots, I have got at the four spot as they sit at five and two. In the three spot, The Saints, man, what an unbelievable comeback. How about winning on a missed extra point, the first missed extra point I believe that Justin Tucker has missed in his entire NFL career. The Saints and Drew Brees sitting uh, with only one loss week one against the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Saints are on a roll. I've got the Chiefs in my two spot, and I think you can make a strong argument that the Chiefs should be a one, and then in the first spot, the only undefeated team in the NFL, I have got the Rams. So my top five in descending order, Rams one, Chiefs two, Saints three, Patriots four, Chargers five. And for those of you just starting off the morning, the sadness list. That's the that's the uh, happiness list, the list of sadness, the bottom five, the Giants, the Bills, the Raiders, the 49ers, and the Cardinals. Anything that jumps out, Danny G?
3: No, I think you're right about uh, the Chiefs because their defense did look a lot better last week. So as far as flip-flopping one and two, you could do that with the Rams and the Chiefs. And also, tied with the Chargers at five, I would put the Panthers in there.
2: Yeah, look, I mean, the Panthers, to me, have been very fortunate. Now, you can give Cam credit, but when you make a 63-yard field goal to beat a one-and-six Giants team, uh, I you know there have been a couple of really good breaks that have gone their way. I thought they were very fortunate to come back and beat the uh, Eagles like they did. So that's the reason why I have the Chargers in there. You can also say, look, the Chargers were fortunate in the way that game ended against the Titans. If the Titans kick the extra point, that game goes to overtime. Who knows what happens? If the Titans run a better two-point play when they've got a two-point conversion opportunity from the one, who knows how much different uh, things might have uh, appeared there. So that is the top five, bottom five in the NFL as we move on now to NFL Week 8.
0: Be sure to catch live editions of Outkick, the coverage with Clay Travis weekdays at 6 a.m. Eastern, 3
2: a.m. Pacific. I want to bring in the crew here. Do you like the Amari Cooper trade?
3: Uh, Well, good morning, Clay. I would say, first of all, thank God that the majority of Raider fans are also Dodger fans. So something to kind of take the sting away a little bit right now. Number one picks are fine, but... Uh, You talk about it a lot. It's an inexact science, obviously. It's a crapshoot. And the problem, as I see it, is that Reggie McKenzie, the Raiders' general manager, he's had a couple of really bad drafts in a row, including this past draft where Derwin James was sitting right there for the taking, even after the Raiders had traded down with the Cardinals. And as far as John Gruden as a talent evaluator, I think this kind of says it all. So he cuts Janikowski at the beginning of the season. Giorgio Trevecchio, he was the Raiders kicker to start the season well he's now an Atlanta Falcon he sunk the 56 yarder to seal the game for them last night also hit a 50 yarder and a 40 yarder I think it was Matt McCrane who Gruden replaced him with has missed four field goals in his three games with the Raiders since uh, Trevecchio was cut so Most Raider fans are really scratching their heads, not only because of Khalil Mack and now what happened with Amari Cooper, but other positions on the roster as well. It just seems like for whatever reason, Gruden has been making wrong slash bad moves with just about every position on this current roster.
2: I think it's also clear that he doesn't believe going forward in uh, whether or not Derek Carr is going to be his guy I think it's clear that he believes that Derek Carr is not his guy and I think the next question this begs as we move towards the trade deadline of October 30th in the NFL I I said this a couple weeks ago and I'm going to continue to say it I think the smart move if you are the Giants is to address your situation this way who is the best player on that offense for the next five years I think it is Saquon Barkley I know that the Falcons finally held him below 100 yards from the line of scrimmage, barely. But when you look at what that guy can do out of the backfield and you look at what he can do running the football, I think the best offensive weapon the Giants have for the next five years is Saquon Barkley. Doesn't mean that I think Odell Beckham Jr. is not good. It just means that the most reliable and consistent and I think the most uh, uh, you know, probably psychologically uh, reliable offensive talent they have is Saquon Barkley. I don't think he's going to lose his mind. I don't think he's going to propose to Annette. I don't think he's going to get into it on the sideline. I don't have any concerns at all about Saquon Barkley. If you believe as I do that he's the best player uh, on that offense for the next 5 years, then I think if the Giants were being smart, they would acknowledge that Eli Manning, 37 years old, it's unlikely he's going to win them another Super Bowl. He's already won them two trade Eli before October 30th if somebody will trade for him let Eli ride off into the sunset or go ahead and make the decision you know what we'll play out the thread with Eli Manning this year and then we're going to go straight into the draft and go get a young quarterback and then also before October 30th I would try to get a first round pick for Odell Beckham Jr. and get out of this 20 million plus contract that we have signed ourselves if we're the Giants Now, I understand Dave Gettleman's uh, decision-making. This is is probably a little bit risky. But I don't think if you're the Giants that you are likely to contend for a Super Bowl for the next two years. If you can find somebody to take that $20 million headache of a contract from Odell Beckham Jr. off of your shoulders, I think it's a smart move. Remember, one of the great storylines to pay attention to in the NFL, the best player on a Super Bowl-winning team has never been a wide receiver. They get a lot of attention because their plays down the field provoke a lot of excitement. Uh, The explosive wide receiver tends to be a diva. He's outspoken. He's oftentimes a great media figure. Fans rally around him, but ultimately, quarterbacks make receivers. Receivers do not make quarterbacks. And If you're going to have a new, young quarterback that you go out and draft, Theoretically, the Giants may be in position to draft number one, the first quarterback off the board next year. Maybe they'll be competing with the Raiders and John Gruden for that. I think you make the decision that the Raiders made, which is trade Odell for a first-round pick. I would move Odell Beckham Jr. right now. And you know what? If I were the Tennessee Titans, a team like the Titans, if I were a team like the Cowboys, I don't necessarily think it's a bad move. If you're in a mediocre-to-bad division, like the Cowboys are. Cowboys are in the NFC East. Giants are eliminated. I don't think the Redskins and Alex Smith are that good. Jerry Jones sits there and says, hey, we get to 9-7, and seven. we get to host a playoff game, we get into the big big dance. I think we can get to 9-7 and seven, sitting at 3-4. and four. If I'm a team like the Tennessee Titans, sitting at 3-4, and four, crappy wide receiver play, and I've got a first-round pick, I'd give it up for Odell Beckham Jr. right now, and I feel like I've got a quarterback who's good enough to win a playoff game, I think a team like the Titans would feel that. I think certainly the Cowboys would feel that. I think that's a good trade to make. And if I'm the Giants, I take that trade. I really do. Uh, Maybe crazy to consider it, given how good Odell Beckham Jr. is at wide receiver. But again, if you're going to go get a young quarterback and you think your best offensive weapon right now is Saquon Barkley, I don't think it makes sense to invest in long-term keeping Odell Beckham Jr. I didn't like the $20 million deal when it signed. I still don't like it.
0: Fox Sports Radio has the best sports talk lineup in the nation. Catch all of our shows at foxsportsradio.com. And within the iHeartRadio app, search FSR to listen live. Charles Davis
2: with us now. He had Panthers-Eagles, and that game ended in an incredible fashion. Uh, the Panthers storming back from a huge deficit – So did this game, in your mind, Charles, tell us more about the Panthers or more about the Eagles?
4: The easy answer is it told us more about both of them, but I'm going to focus more on the Eagles right now because as a defending champs, you run through all the stuff you run through, Clay, which is you know everyone's coming, everyone's circling you, you're going to be the target, you're going to be this, you're going to be that. And last year when they got on the good run, you know, they became the team that people are trying to figure out. They, You know, they're going for it all the time. They're doing this. They're doing that. Well, this year, of course, you're coming in. and here, here comes everyone. And going into this week, the, 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 the feel around Philadelphia, talking with Doug Peterson, was that that Giants game on Thursday night was like their biggest exhale. That Finally, they could kind of shed the burden of being the defending chance and get back to playing ball. And it almost felt like the burden jumped back on them in the fourth quarter when Carolina made their run. And it all started with they score, they kick a field goal, Clay, and I think you probably saw it. And they're getting ready for the next kickoff, and all of a sudden guys are out there doing the kid-and-play dance in the huddle before kickoff. And I remember punching into my, my, my team on the truck. I said, I hope you guys are taping this because this is not a good look or a good time to be doing this still too much time. And sure enough, later on, we were able to bring it back, and here's what's going on, blah, blah. Now, is that the reason they lost? No. But you never do that type of a thing in an NFL game. You're only up 17, and then, of course, Carolina made the comeback. Look, Carolina coming back, they did it against Washington, too, the week before, but didn't win the game. This one they they capped off, so it's a big win for them. But for Philadelphia, I think a lot of soul-searching and Realizing they're fortunate to be in the NFC East right now, because while Washington's four and two, they, it doesn't feel like anyone's going to run away with the division. If you can string together some wins, you can still get it done. But I thought that was a bad loss for Philadelphia, up seventeen in the fourth quarter.
2: Let's talk a little bit about the NFC East. The Cowboys are three and four. The Redskins are four and two, but I don't think they've really blown anybody away. Yeah. That division, maybe outside of the Giants who lost last night and are sitting at 1-6, and six, still seems uh, it's possible for somebody to grab control of it. What in the world do you think of the Amari Cooper trade? Uh, I started off the show by saying to me it told me two things. One, obviously it spoke to the fact that they believe, the Cowboys do, that they can still win that division. Yeah. But also to me it means they don't really know about Dak and this could be another data point for them to decide is Dak our guy of the future if Amari Cooper can come back and play at a high level? You can't make the excuse he doesn't have weapons around him. On the flip side, right. for, for the Raiders, I think it means, hey, maybe Derek Carr's not our guy. John Gruden doesn't really believe in him because I can't imagine trading away a guy you believe could be a Pro Bowl receiver and has been a Pro Bowl receiver if you think you've got a Pro Bowl quarterback.
4: Yeah, it's, it's, it's very strange. I think the Raiders very quickly... When you when when you do what you do, excuse me. When you do what they did, and you just mentioned it, Clay, and and, and talked about it pretty well. But then you look up, and they've got three first-round picks in next year's draft. Las Vegas is. It looks like it's going to get the benefits of everything, and it's pretty much done here. I mean, it's like a dismantling. You know, Khalil Mack, Chicago, Amari Cooper going to Dallas. That's the type of thing you do when you're just kind of, okay, we're starting over elsewhere, and obviously we don't know where they're going to play next year. They don't have a, a, a contract to play in Oakland. You get the whole idea. So for whatever reason, it feels like Oakland has said we've got to start over. Don't understand totally because I thought they still the potential to be fairly decent going into this year. Shows what I know. Flipping over to Dallas, this is not a picking up Roy Williams or Joey Galloway situation. That, that Dallas has done in the past. This is a young, should-be approaching his prime receiver, and if not working well in one place. As you mentioned with Dak, is it a data point? It's a heck of a gamble for a data point, Clay. I mean, you've given up a number one pick, and you know top picks are, are gold in the NFL. You, you need to believe that this, that this move helps make him better, not we've got to find out if he's going to be better with it. That's, that's my opinion. Of. If you're making this move, you should be making it because you believe this is the receiver that will really help take Dak over the top. The interesting part to me is they had a chance to get a wide receiver one draft last year, entire offseason in free agency, all of those things. And you remember what Dallas said? Oh, we're okay with our receivers. We can do it by committee. Cole Beasley can do And now we look up at this part, and, and I think the th- first thing you said is on target hey, we're three and four in a division that no one's running away with. Maybe we have to change our thinking now. We were wrong before. Let's get a wide receiver one and go ahead and try and win this division. It's still, to me, a little, not a little, it's a big gamble to me because the number one you know, uh, pick is still gold in today's football.
2: All right, let's like right, you're going to call the Redskins-Giants game coming up this weekend. It yeah. seems to me that the Giants are in a very similar situation to the Oakland Raiders. First-year head coach quarterback who maybe the franchise doesn't really believe in in the long run and a first round caliber wide receiver certainly maybe the best wide receiver in the NFL in the case of the Giants that they've given 20 million dollars a year to this 20 million is spent they're not going to be in the playoff run they got two more 20 million dollar years would you consider or entertain if you are the Giants at this point any kind of interest in Odell Beckham Jr. and whether or not he should be moved, would you contemplate that if you were the Giants at one and six now?
4: No, I wouldn't because they've got to decide what they're gonna do a quarterback first and it'd be one thing if you had a quarterback in place and you felt like Odell Beckham was such a distraction and couldn't you know, this is not going to work. We can build with another receiver with this quarterback that we believe in. But with Eli being thirty seventh and with how things have gone in recent weeks, to me the bigger question is deciding what you're going to do there, and give and give make this an attractive place for a quarterback. Whether it's going to be a young guy coming in, which you'd have to handle differently, or a veteran guy who can play, who you know can can can, can stand up to the heat and deal with young receivers who go and get the football. Because Sterling Shepard showed a little emotion a couple of weeks ago too. Remember we talked about that. So yes. It's not like you know, there's only one you know, voice that you're going to listen to. Receivers, by by general rule, are not shrinking violets, as we know. But I would not entertain that at all with the Giants. That's not my issue. My issue is figuring out, am I going forward with him? I know they've kept saying, I believe in Eli. Trade deadline's coming up, Clay. It's October 30. I do believe Eli has a no-trade clause in his contract, but we've seen people with no-trade clauses make a different decision when push comes to shove, if indeed someone would be interested. I don't know. It's going to be a very, very interesting week in New York, to put it mildly. They've got so many questions and answers we saw in the game last night, the clock management down the stretch, this decision here, that decision there. Pat Shermer's got a rough week ahead of him as the head coach. But behind the scenes, Dave Gettleman is the GM. He and his staff have a lot of decisions to make along with Pat Shermer. What are we going to do going forward? Because what are they one? What are they one and six now? Yes, right, one, they're one and six. Washington comes in on a hot streak. What happens? Because I don't think they make any moves before this game, class. Like they're not going to change quarterbacks or anything like that. But what if they do lose this game at home, you know, get to one and seven. know it's officially over. Kyle Let is the guy they drafted, but they've made him inactive every game this year at quarterback. Do you make a change? Do you do anything? Last year when they benched Eli for that one game, it was the dumbest move they made, not in benching him, but in benching him to try out Geno Smith, not Davis Webb, the rookie. In this case, now, if you're going to bench him and you're going to stay with your own team, you've got to play Kyle Lalletta. You can't, you can't say we're going to bench him for Alex Tanney. That tells you nothing as well.
2: We're talking to Charles Davis. He's got that game, Redskins, Giants. He's at CFD 22. You mentioned the trade deadline coming up October 30th. The Jags are about to get onto a plane and fly where I just was for the last week to London to play against the Eagles. Suddenly, this game between the Jags and the Eagles is essentially, it feels like, must win for both of these teams. They're both sitting at three and four, they're both dealing with a great deal of off field noise particularly, I would say, for the Jags, who have now announced that Blake Bortles will be their starter in London. What do you do if you're the Jags?
4: To me, this team is not as far away from getting back to the playoffs as it may seem in the midst of this run. You know, the defense is struggling some, yes, but I think the offense has put them in some really horrible spots along the way. The idea that Blake Bortles was going to start in London was kind of a duh. I mean, you're going to start Cody Kessler? Yeah. I love Cody, great kid, but Cody's not the one that's pressing Blake Bortles. I mean, you're not making that change, and now we're going to move forward and try and make the playoffs. The only way for them to do that, if, if indeed Blake is not their guy, which you know all indications seem to be headed towards that direction, they've got to look around the league and say, okay, who can we go get? It's trade deadline time. I know there have been reports that they're not going anywhere, they're not doing anything. I have a hard time believing they're not evaluating that. And I know that people want to jump on the, hey, go to New York, go get Eli. You've got Tom Coughlin, all that. I don't know that that's where they go. But I'm trying to figure out where it is around the league that's a veteran guy that might be available that could be better than what you have. Arizona, Sam Bradford's still sitting there. He's on the bench now. No one's crazy about the injury history and all, but you're trying to salvage your season. It's just one name that I'm throwing, Clay, I'm just saying that evaluation process has to happen for them. If they decide to stand pat, then they got to go all in with Blake Bortles. I don't think you stand pat and say, "Well, we'll see if he plays poorly and if so, we're going to Cody Kessler." I don't think that that takes you to changes the dynamics of your season.
2: What about Teddy Bridgewater? Would you inquire? I know that the the Saints have already traded yep. for him, and they maybe think he's the heir apparent to Drew Brees. But based on the way Drew is playing. It seems to me he still has a good two years left. I mean, he's thirty-nine. If Brady can play at forty-one, there's nothing that I've seen from Drew Brees right now that suggests oh, this guy is ready to hang up the uh, the cleats and ride off into the sunset. If you make that decision and you're the Saints and you can get you know a second round pick back or you can get a first round pick, maybe is that a guy that would make sense for the Jags?
4: Yeah, I think I think it would definitely make sense for the Jags. He's the type of guy that people rally around, love to play with. He's you know he showed during the preseason. You know, and I know it's preseason but him reengaging back in the saddle, making plays. Yeah, I think it fits very well. Now, if I'm New Orleans, I'd make him come with a big offer. Because I know there's so much speculation now that Taysom Hill is the heir apparent in New Orleans. Yep. I think Taysom Hill is much more of a what-we're-seeing quarterback, not the heir apparent. See, to me, Teddy Bridgewater fits them way better and what they do, how Drew has played the game along the way, the scheme that Sean Payton has. Taysom Hill is your change-up gadget quarterback. I, I don't take that away from them. I'm not crazy about all that, but I get where they're going with it, and it helps them. But as far as full-time, I, I believe Teddy Bridgewater would be a much better full-time option for the, for the Saints. That's why if you want to come get him, I'd make it be a good offer. And if it's a really good offer, then I would consider it because, as you pointed out, you probably have two, maybe even three years before you ultimately have to make a change at quarterback with New Orleans because of the way Drew Brees keeps himself in great shape. He doesn't get the attention TB12 does with his workout program, but Drew Brees' workout program is insane as well.
2: We're talking to Charles Davis at CFD22. All right, I'm going to take you into college football. I know you're paying attention to that too. Yeah. Is Bama good or bad for college football right now?
4: Oh, they're good for college football. This is To me, this is the UConn women's basketball debate that we went through a few years ago which i found absolutely ridiculous i did clay everybody's oh they're horrible for basketball but well, was ucla horrible when they won 88 straight with well, john wooden actually gave it attention during a time that not a lot of people were focused on college basketball people act like you know the final four has always been around and existed in its current state where we go crazy and stop what we do for 3 weeks that, that was not the case dynasties are very good for business. I don't care if it's the Yankees. I don't care if it's the Boston, uh, Boston Celtics. I don't care who it is, whoever you name, because when someone finally gets that dynasty, it really means something. I know parody is the word Pete Rosell loved. Yeah, you can have plenty of parody, but you need teams for people to shoot for, to come get and elevate play everywhere. And I'll leave you with this. I worked at the Olympic Committee, Clay, I was around when the Dream Team was born, and a lot of people know, that. a lot of people look back and say, well, we did that because we lost in 1988, remember, our, our men's oh, basketball yeah. team, we lost the gold medal in '88. we got beat by the Russians, we had to go get our, our honor back. There is a vote when you change policy in the Olympics that all the countries get to vote. Do you know that overwhelmingly the vote was for the Americans to have their professionals play basketball? They have the positive vote. You know why? Because they knew that it would, it would up, the level of disc, you know, up the level of play, and you now have to change what you do in a country and get yourself better as well, not to mention the attention that came with it. They knew they'd take some beatings for a while, and they absorbed them. How is it now internationally in basketball? Have you noticed how everything has changed? You see how people have jumped their game up? Well, everyone needs to do that in whatever league we're talking about now. Bama is good for football. I don't care what they say. People have to come after them. People have to raise their level in the SEC, around the country, the whole thing. People want to talk about it being bad. Bad. You must be crazy. This is fantastic. (laughs) Bama and Clemson, again, if they go at it, how about how Clemson's raised their level and have been a consistent team approaching that status right now? I think it's good. You can tell by the passion of my voice on this one. I do, not li- I do not like when people say it's horrible and they're overrunning it and this and that. Then we're back to participation medals and ribbons, and I don't like that either.
2: Amen for that. Let me ask you this final question. I, you have watched college football for a long time. I have watched college football for a long time. Through eight games... I think that Alabama is as good of a team as I have ever seen. They have not been challenged at all. We'll probably talk about this with you a little bit next week. Do you think that somebody will step up? I think you mentioned the phone booth, get in a phone booth game with them at some point and be able to elevate their game to make Alabama go into a fourth quarter and really have to fight itself in order to win a championship. Or do you think Alabama is just this much better that nobody's ever going to be able to even keep it close?
4: Oh, someone's going to keep it close. It's just a matter of when it happens. And for Bama's sake, I think they would be best served if they have one of those in the regular season. Because otherwise you get into the playoffs, and it's going to happen at some point. Remember when Nebraska, what what was that? Was it Nebraska 82, 83? Remember that team with Turner Gill and and Irving Fryer and, 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 and Remington and all that crew? You Remember they just rolled over everyone? And then they got into that phone booth game in the national championship game with Miami. Remember that? And here comes, here comes Bernie Kosar and crew. And all of a sudden, they had to fight and scrap. And they came down, and they ended up missing a two-point conversion. I just think you're better off having one of those along the way, dealing with it and knowing that you had to grid it out a little bit. Now, for Bama, it may be gritting it out and winning by 20. But they need to be pressed in the second half of the game. I don't know who it's going to be. I don't know that LSU has enough offense I don't know the SEC title game, whether it's Georgia or Florida, would be that team. But I think you could get into the playoffs. It could be a Notre Dame. It could be a Clemson. It could be a, you know, who could emerge. But I think they're better off having it beforehand, and I do think that they will have at least one of those before it's over. But like I said, it could be them pressed in the third quarter, and we all tune in, and then they go whoosh, whoosh, and they win and it looks comfortable. But they need to have one of those unsettling moments
2: outstanding stuff as always Charles Davis we'll talk to you next week he's at CFD22 go follow him on Twitter and enjoy the Redskins Giants game he'll be calling it for Fox this weekend
0: be sure to catch live editions of Outkick the coverage with Clay Travis weekdays at 6 a.m eastern 3 a.m pacific on Fox Sports Radio and the iHeartRadio app big game tonight Dodgers Red
2: Sox World Series L.A. versus boston the two best sports cities in america which one is going to reign supreme clayton kershaw taking the mound you guys in la are the experts in the dodgers i'm going to go to you danny g what kind of performance do we get tonight who should i bet on in game one on lock it in got to give props to jason whitlock guy went three for three had one of the best gambling days ever i'll be on our new show lock it in Uh, from uh, 4.30 to 5.30 Eastern, 3.30 to 4.30 Central, 2.30 to 3.30 Mountain, and 1.30 to 2.30 Pacific. I hope I got all those times right. I'm back after returning from London, and Jason Whitlock has passed the baton in a good way, although he had an awful gambling week last week. He had a great Monday. He did the exact opposite of what I told him to do. I told him to take the Falcons in the over. Instead, he took the Giants in the under to spurn me, and he went 2-0 in those games. So, What should I do tonight, Danny G? I'm going to take your advice on how to bet on this game.
3: I definitely would go with Kershaw. I was there in the house uh, for Game 5 against the Brewers last week and watched Clayton Kershaw pitch one of his best games in a long time, and it came in the postseason. So for anyone that says he chokes in the postseason, yeah, there's been times he has, but lately – Not the case. Overall, the Red Sox are favored, and they maybe should be the slight favorite, Clay, because they have the better overall team. But the Dodgers have the advantage in two areas, power hitting and the Dodger bullpen. The Red Sox bullpen, meanwhile, has been their team's only real weakness. So if the Dodgers can produce runs, get around the bases, get those runners in, they've had trouble throughout the season doing that because they've kind of been home run or bust. But if they can produce some runs and get to the Red Sox bullpen, then the Dodgers should be in really good shape.
2: 8 Eastern tonight on Fox. The Boston Red Sox are a minus 150 favorite. So I'm going to listen to you, Danny G. Tonight, uh, this afternoon on Lock It In, I will take the Dodgers to win game one, and I will take Clayton Kershaw to perform well. That means if they lose you're responsible for this loss because I'm deferring to you as an expert on this uh, Red Sox team on whether I should rely on Clayton Kershaw. So I'm taking that's an early preview. This afternoon on television, I will be betting on the Dodgers on Danny G's advice. If the Dodgers lose, I would humbly ask for all of you to deluge Danny G's Twitter account (laughs) and blame him for the bad gambling suggestion. Roberto, do you like Danny G's pick? Do you like the Dodgers
4: tonight? Yeah, uh, the problem sometimes in a a longer series, uh, Kershaw, the problem that he's had is he, he can't put two good starts together. But um, I'm thinking this is going to be his good start, and we'll see how he does the next time around in, um, in this series.
2: I, I think um, I think it's going to be intriguing. I think we're going to have a real – it's an incredible week for sports. If you love sports, it doesn't get much better than October. But I th- also think the storylines as we come down the stretch, I think we're going to get a really good series in the Red Sox and the Dodgers. I also think, like I said, two teams have to make real decisions before the NFL trading deadline. I think the Giants are going to have to make a decision about what to do with Odell Beckham Jr. I think they may get a first-round offer for him. And I also think the Jags are going to have to decide what to do with Blake Bortles. Do they go try to trade for Teddy Bridgewater? Do they contemplate bringing Eli Manning back with Tom Coughlin in Jacksonville? Or does somebody inquire about Derek Carr, since effectively John Gruden is having a fire cell and putting together all those draft picks? He's already got three now. Uh, with the trade of Amari Cooper. Somebody's going to make a move there. I'm not sure exactly who it's going to be, but this is going to be one hell of a story uh, to follow, a bunch of stories to follow this week. Thanks for listening to the best of Outkick the Coverage podcast. Be sure to catch us live every weekday morning from 6 to 9 a.m. Eastern, 3 to 6 a.m. Pacific on Fox Sports Radio. Find your local station for Outkick the Coverage at foxsportsradio.com or stream us live every morning on the iHeartRadio app by searching FSR.
0: listen to uncanny usa wherever
1: you get your bbc podcasts if you dare
3: the big take from bloomberg news brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best informed business reporters around the world
0: we cover the stories behind what's moving money in markets and help you understand what's happening what it means and why it matters every afternoon